Last week I started the series and we opened up Luke chapter 4 and I talked to you about how Jesus declared to those that were hearing him then, and it certainly makes sense and still exists for us today, he declared to them that he came to set the captives free. This is what Jesus came to do. This is God's heart towards every person that has ears to hear. He wants us to be totally free. And we know this from the Bible, that in Christ, we can be free from our past. We can be free from our sin. We can be free from our failures. We can be free from our setbacks. This is what the Lord desires to do. And the Bible says that if we give our life to him, we are brand new in Christ. We have a new heart. We have a new mind. We have a whole new life. Not just a better life, not just a little upgrade. We are new in Jesus' name. That's what the Bible teaches us. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we established that this is God's heart. In fact, I tried to change my sermon title from Freedom from Captivity to Jesus Wants You Free. And I think it's an important point to establish that. But there's another question that I want to ask you today that really jumps from where we were to, I think, a really uh, important question for, for us considering the future freedom of our life. And that question is this, do you want to be free? We know that God wants us to be free, but now we have to ask the question of ourselves. Now, you might say, Pastor Ben, that's a bad question. Every person that names in the name of Jesus wants to be free and live in freedom so that they can be who God called them to be and do what God called them to do. Everybody wants that. And so here's my response. If Jesus' heart is to set everyone free and our heart is to walk in his freedom, then why don't we? Good question. Good question. If he wants that, and supposedly we want that, then why don't we live more in that? Theoretically, I would tell you that we all want this, but practically, maybe that's not the case. And as we look at John chapter 5 today, there, in my opinion, this is a very provocative story where Jesus asks a man a question, and I want to dive in and kind of analyze that a little bit and look at it and see if there's something relevant for our lives as we too seek the freedom and the wholeness that God offers through the gospel. But here's what it says in John chapter 5 and verse 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, Waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? Some translations say, do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Just outside of the temple in Jerusalem, on the northeast corner, there are two pools and five covered porches. The pool that is mentioned here is called Bethesda. In Hebrew, this means house of mercy. 
And what we know about this is that the crippled and the blind could not go into the temple, so many of them would lie around outside in places like this. And so it really was an ancient hospital. Pools like this were considered so, and they believed that water, of course, had healing properties. So, so it was almost like you would see hundreds or maybe even thousands of people there, some scholars uh, tell us. Jesus did not heal everybody that was there. He didn't talk to anybody that was there. The scripture doesn't record that. But what it does tell us, or show us at least, is that he walked up to one man and he asked him this provocative question. He says, do you want to be well? And you might ask today, why would Jesus ask this question? Asking a sick person if they want to be well is like asking a drowning person if they want to be rescued. It's kind of like asking a bound person if they want to be free. It seems like the obvious answer is yes, and yet Jesus still asked the question, and I want to make some observations about this and really ask the question, why? Why, why would Jesus approach somebody who clearly needs healing and ask them if that's what they really want? I think there are implications for us today. The first point I want to make is this, is Jesus knows our true condition. In verse 5, it says the man was ill for 38 years. The word ill here is mostly translated weakness. You'll remember in, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if I remember correctly, where the Apostle Paul, he pleaded with the Lord to take away what he had and what he used um, in this term was a weakness. He said, I pleaded with the Lord three times and the Lord said back to him, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. This is the same word. It's often translated as that. So we have a man who's been suffering with something for 38 years. It doesn't tell us what condition. Some are sus uh, suspect that it's, he's a quadriplegic of some kind. We don't really know. We do know that he's been hindered from walking because he's lying there with his bed or his mat. And if somebody were to have something like that, they would carry this around because whenever they stopped at a place, they might have to sleep there overnight. That's why they would carry their bed with them. So Jesus walks up, he asks this question, do you want to be well? And we have to be reminded that Jesus was not ignorant and he did not need information. And well, how do we know that? Because verse six says this, it says that Jesus knew he had already been a long time in that condition. So when he asked the question, the scripture already tells us that he knew. Jesus knows. Everybody say, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And in a similar way, Jesus is not ignorant of our condition, physical, emotional, relational. He knows absolutely everything. And this word know, when you see it in the book of Luke a couple times, it says Jesus would be sitting with someone or he'd be sitting with a group of the Pharisees and he knew what was in their thoughts. He would ask them a question based on what he could read in their thoughts, not based on the conversation that they were having. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Jesus knows that kind of stuff. He, supernaturally, he knows. And we have to consider that for our own lives as well. He is personally acquainted with us on every level, at every stage of life, and in every way. And the reason that this is important, when we spend time with God, we have to remember and consider for Jesus to be personal to us, we need to know that he knows everything about us. When you spend time with the Lord, you have to remember that. The Bible says things like he knows the hairs on our head. He knows our name. Why is this important? Well, it could be a little scary to you. It could be convicting or it could be comforting. 
I would tell you that it's comforting. He knows our hearts. The Bible says he knows what we need before we ask him, but he still wants us to ask. He knows absolutely everything. Why is this important? Because we're going to someone as we engage him in relationship who knows all of our faults, he knows all of our secrets, he knows all of our issues, and he still loves us right there. And when he asks us a question, which he does, when he provokes us, which he will, when he corrects us, which will happen, when he says something that's hard to swallow, when he says something that's encouraging, whatever comes out of his heart and out of the Spirit's mouth towards us, whatever we perceive or whatever we read in the eternal word of God, we have to understand that he knows us in a deep and meaningful and a profound way. He knows our past, our sins, our pain. He knows our excuses. He knows the symptoms of our problems. He knows the root causes of why we do what we do. It's easy for us, I think, to assume that our issues are no more than the symptoms. In other words, when we're angry or when we're unbelieving or when we're fearful or when we're anxious or when we're lustful or these things manifest in our life, it's easy for us to assume that, that, that that's all that we struggle with. You know, Ben, I really struggle with anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. You're angry for a reason which means that it's a symptom of something greater. You have a root system there, and if you don't know what that is, then you're going to be trying to deal with anger all of your life, when in reality, you never get to the real issue underneath it all. And here's the reality. Jesus knows the roots. He knows the reason why we do what we do, say what we say, go where we go. And it's comforting to know that if we don't know what's going on, and we're not sure why we are the way we are, or why we're doing what we're doing, or why we're always grumpy and angry and all that, Jesus can speak to us about all of that and he can give us the prognosis. He can tell us what to do. He can guide us where we need to be. He can bring healing, real healing into our life. If all we do is deal with the symptoms and try to root those things out and we never get to the root system, friend, it's not, it's not going to help. Jesus knows our condition. He speaks right to the issue I was thinking about how we love to self-diagnose today. How many of you non-medical professionals love to self-diagnose? You have WebMD right now. I may or may not have done it this morning, Dr. Dan, I'm sorry. I may, not, I may have done that this morning. I might have gone on WebMD and tried to figure out what my problem is, you know. And you know what it is? It's called aging, all right? <laughs> That's all it is, <laughs> One time I went to the doctor and I was talking to him about this problem that I had never had before. And he said, welcome to 40. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he told me. I, 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 I didn't know. There was no party there. It was just me and him. <laughs> so there wasn't anybody at the finish line. So, but I, I think it's funny. We live in a world where we like to self-diagnose ourselves. And I have friends who think that essential oils will heal absolutely everything. And, it, and it's fun to believe in magic. But at some point, <laughs> we have to... At some point, we have to actually get some real advice. Did I offend anybody on Mother's Day? Sorry. We may or may not have essential oils in our house. At some point, we do need to get help. At some point, we do need to go to somebody that knows what we don't know. And that is certainly true with our spiritual life is Jesus knows everything. And I'll tell you this, you cannot get a proper prognosis for what you're struggling with until you have a right diagnosis. 
We're going to be fighting the wrong thing, praying for the change in the wrong area. We're going to be going after something that honestly is not the issue, and God the whole time knows what's going on. And we can talk to him, we can ask of him. And so here's the question that I have for you today. Do you have a proximity with God's word and God's spirit and God's people in such a way where they can speak deeply into your life and help you to determine the proper diagnosis? See, a lot of times we're dealing with things in our life and we might think that we're fine. We might think that everything's okay. But the minute we start asking other people and the moment we soften our hearts and ask the Lord, they're going to say things to us that we may not wanna hear unless we desire to grow. If you wanna be free, you're willing to ask the Lord. You're willing to ask godly people. You're willing to ask the spirit of God to evaluate your heart so that you and I can go deeper and be all that God wants us to be. If you really, if I really want to be free, I'm not afraid to do that unless, unless I'm just simply not interested in going to that place. And maybe it starts to make sense why Jesus would ask this question to this guy. And that leads me to my second point. Jesus wants us to know our true condition. He knows, but he wants us to know. And we got to remember that he doesn't ask questions for information. He asks questions to help us see something so that we can experience transformation. That's what the Lord is always doing. So in verse six, he says, do you want to be well? Let me share this with you in, in the amplified version. He says, are you earnest and serious about getting well? That might seem offensive, here you have a guy that's 38 years in his illness, lying in a pool with hundreds, maybe thousands of people who all need healing. They're all sick. And it's like an ancient hospital. And Jesus approaches him and says, do you want to be well? But you, listen, you got to pay very close attention to the wording. Jesus did not say, do you need healing? Of course he needed healing. Everybody needed healing. He said, do you want healing? Friend, that's a different question. Do you need healing? Oh, we all need help, amen. We all got problems. We all got issues. We all need help. Jesus said, do you want it? Because if you want it, I'll speak to you about it. If you want it, I'll do something so that you can experience that freedom and healing. He asked him about what he wants, not what he needs. Is this something that you actually want? Is it your desire to be whole? Do you want your life to change? Is that why you're here at the pool? Are you here today? Are you at the pool today? Are you on the side because you really want to be well? Or are you just here? You say, Ben, man, that doesn't sound like Jesus would ask that. Well, I think we relate to this. Does everybody that goes to the gym really want to be fit? Does everybody that goes to school, everybody that goes to school, do they really want to learn? Does everybody that goes... Everybody that goes to a counseling office, do they really want their marriage to be better? Or do they really want their soul to be delivered? Does everybody that goes to church really want to follow Jesus? I think the question's appropriate. And I think Jesus has no problem asking it because he wants freedom for every single person and he's not afraid to ask hard questions. He's not interested in giving five easy steps to following me. He's interested in asking hard questions so that he can bring up the real issue and if we're willing to look at it and deal with it, we're gonna get delivered. If we're willing to look at it and deal with it, we're gonna get free. This is what Jesus offers to us today. 
He wants us to know our true condition. We don't often know our true condition, and unfortunately, what we do, if you're like me, and I think you are, we like to generalize things. We say things like, you know, all of us sin, Pastor Ben, everyone struggles. You know, I've got a lot of things that I need to work on, right? You know, we all got a lot of things that we need to work on. Isn't that, isn't that right? Trying to get my agreement. I'm not perfect. You know what those things can mean at times, though, if we're not careful? This is what it can mean. It's not that bad. Life's hard. It's no big deal. Pastor Ben, things could be worse. And you know what? Here's my, my ultimate favorite. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. Oh, yes, he does. And that's why he asks the question unashamedly. It's not a lack of love that a good father would ask this question. It's actually the reason that he asks the question, is it your desire? Do you want to be well? Is that why you're here? It's a great question. Denial and avoidance and minimizing the issues of our life, they don't just keep us ignorant. They keep us bound. They keep us in a place where we're not free. These statements are professions of spiritual apathy and passivity, and what they say, whether we, whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, they say, I don't want freedom. See, it's interesting, isn't it? On one hand, we can say, I want freedom. I want healing. I want change. But our commitment to what that actually means is not in line with what we say. That's the reality. There's an illustration I wanted to show you. Um, 900 years ago, an Italian architect, uh, if you could show that picture, guys, there in the back, an Italian architect uh, constructed this. You may, you may know what it is. How many of you have actually been to the Tower of Pisa? That's a lot of you. Wow, that's amazing. And um, when they started building this tower, it was not called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> it has become that. It was called the Tower of Pisa. When they started building it, Shortly after, they realized that the soil was soft and there was a faulty foundation, and so the building started to lean over a period of time. Not right away, but over a period of time. And it got to about four degrees off, and eventually, over a longer period of time, it settled to about five and a half degrees. Friends, that's five and a half degrees off. Now, I want to ask you a question. Does five and a half degrees sound like a lot in your world? It just doesn't sound like a lot to me, right? It just sounds like something I would build at my house and go, ah, it's five degrees off, builder's tolerance. That's tolerable. That'll work. That's not that bad. Not a problem. That's how I think. But when you look at this, you kind of have to look at it like this. I can see all your heads. You're like this. And it's strange. It's strange from the picture. It's strange if you've gone there. And, and what, they, what they tried to do is they tried to fix it, but they couldn't in those earlier days. And around the 90s or so, they pretty much could have tried to fix it, but it was such a tourist attraction that they just decided to strengthen it. So now you can go into it. How many of you actually gone into the Tower of Pisa? Yeah, several of you. And uh, even last night, we had several. They've actually gone into it. And so because it's such an attraction, why change it? Let's just let it lean. <laughs> and now we, we call it the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I think this is what happened with the man at the pool, and I think it's what happens with many of us as well. The, the crippled man wanted healing, but he had no hope of getting in the water. So you might ask the question, why did he come to the pool? And I, I think this, this is my opinion. I think we like to be around hope even when we have hopelessness. 
I, I think we like to be around the idea of hope even if we've shut down the possibility of it. See, Pastor Ben, you don't know. I, I, I believe God can do it, but I just don't think he's gonna do it in me. I believe that it's possible and I believe he's able, but I don't think he's willing to do it for me. That's, that's what our soul says. We may not say it with our words, but deep down we want freedom, but we've accepted that that's not going to happen. And so what we learn to do is we learn to live in our lean and we walk around life like this and we think nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Is something wrong if I walk like this to you? What's the first question you would ask? What's wrong? You'd say, is something wrong with you today? No, nothing at all. Nothing's wrong. What if I did that the whole sermon? I would be showing you something is wrong. But in life, with our soul and the issues of our soul, we lean and we think nothing of it. We think, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. Friends, when you want freedom, it is that big of a deal. And Jesus will ask us hard questions to stir that area up in our life again because on the other end of it, if we could only see it and be excited about it like he is, then we'd go after it no matter what the cost is. So here's the principle. Wanting freedom means that we are willing to make whatever changes that are necessary. It's not just a profession, it's a commitment. That whatever the Lord says, Whatever needs to happen, I'm willing to follow through by his grace and through his power. If Jesus asked you this question, do you want to be well? Do you want to be free? Do you want to be whole? What would your answer to him be? Automatically, I think it's going to be yes for all of us. But here's the next question. Is your commitment the same when he's asking you for that in the same breath? Do you want to be well and are you willing to commit to me whatever it takes for you to come up out of that thing? And me to bring you to a place where you're just straightened out. <laughs> Answer should be yes. The Lord's leading us to that place. And the third and the final point that I have today is this. Jesus will call us into greater freedom. After Jesus asked the question, here's what the man said. He said, I have nobody to lower me down into the water. Jesus said to him, get up. <laughs> At least this is how I hear Jesus speaking. Maybe I'm wrong. Get up. Take up your mat and walk. Can you imagine what this was like? 38 years, 38 years of illness and weakness, coming to the pool, trying to get healing, supposedly being worn out, worked over 38 years. And Jesus walks up and in one moment, he changes everything. See, listen, I still believe in a God where in one moment he can change everything. I believe in moments of transformation and change. I just do. It's part of why I'm Pentecostal and not ashamed. Now, if God doesn't change everything in a moment, we still have to be committed to walk out that way of life in order for his transformation to set into our life. But I believe in a God that can walk up to us and say the thing that we need to hear. I believe in a God that when we sit with him and we ask him the question, what are you working on in my life? What are you speaking to me about in my life? What do you want me to do in my life? I believe that that God will say to us what we need to hear. The question that we're asking today is, do we have ears to hear it? Do we have a heart to receive it? Do we have a commitment that no matter what he says, we say yes to it? Is that where we are? Because we have to position ourselves that way. We have to ask the Lord for soft hearts. We have to ask the Lord for open ears. We have to ask God to give us this. 
Or here's the reality, we just won't change. Jesus has a word for every single one of us. He had a word for this guy and he's got a word for us. He has a word for you today. What is the Lord saying to you about your heart and about your life and about your future? What is he calling you into? What is that get up, pick up your mat and go? What is that word from God for you, for your life? He's got something to say. And as we hear this prognosis for our freedom, it would seem that a couple things would be important and I'm just gonna throw them at you real quickly because it's Mother's Day and I wanna get you out, not just on time, but maybe a little early (laughs) as it seems like the right thing to do. And the mom said, Number one, if we're going to hear Jesus call, in, call us into greater freedom and go after that, I think we need to let go of our excuses. Our excuses and our self-pity, they, they initially make us feel better about why we might be where we are. They sort of accommodate this place that we're, that we're stuck or that we're staying, and over a long period of time, you know, it no longer feels as comfortable. Those excuses, they, they don't seem to work. We, we really don't believe them anymore. We initially did, but we don't anymore. And excuses, really what they do is they keep us from growth and healing and freedom. That's what they do. And I think sometimes in our excuses, what we do, we all do it at times, is, is that we think that we're an exception to the power of God. We do. Pastor Ben, I, I know that he can do it for them, and I, I know that he can work in that marriage. I know that he can work in those families. I know that he's done that in your life, but he's just not going to do it in mine. He just, you don't know how hard it is. You don't know how difficult that it's been. I don't need to know. Nobody needs to relate to any of us today. Jesus can. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He gave his life. He gave his back, the Bible says. It was his body given so that we might have life. It was his blood shed that you and I could not just be forgiven and go to heaven one day, but that we could actually experience restoration, that we could grow into his likeness, that we could become something different in this life. I'm not just waiting for heaven to be something better, friend. It's today. It's now. It's right here. It's the spirit of God living through us. It's Jesus's life coming out of us. And there are times where we let our excuses bring us to a place of exception where like God's not going to do it for us. We are not exceptions to the power of God. The power of God is available to anybody. The power of God is the same for everybody. Yes, it requires open hearts. Yes, it requires ears that hear. Yes, it requires hearts that are bent towards him, asking of him. Yes, but it's still power and it's still from God and it's available today. What we can't have is excuses. Those excuses are like walls and they stop what God wants to do in our life. And so I would encourage you today, whatever they might be, just chuck those excuses. They don't don't fit your life. They're not for you. They're not from him. The second thing is we will have to lay down our false hopes. Here we have a guy. He thought the angel stirring the waters was the only way he was gonna get healed. That's what he thought. So his answer to Jesus when asked, do you want to be well, was like, I can't get in the waters. I've been living this way my whole life. Everybody tramples over me. Everybody jumps over me into the pool. I have for years watched people jump in and receive something that I can never get to. This was his hope. And it was a false hope because his profession at this stage of his life was, I can't. I can't. And here's here's what's happening. Jesus God incarnate. We understand that like 
Jesus is God the Son. It's the incarnation of God. It's that the fullness of the deity dwelt in a human body, standing in front of him, asking him this question, do you, want, do you really want to be well? I'm not asking you if you can jump into the waters. I'm not asking you if you can do what other people can do. I'm asking you if this is what you want. He didn't realize that God was standing right in front of him. He didn't know that. So his whole hope was bent on something that really was never going to happen. And with that, yes, false hope, it's a false hope. It's not going to come to pass, of course. So we've got to let those things go. Maybe nothing else has ever worked for us. Maybe we've never received freedom. Maybe we've never got healed. Maybe none of those, ever, none of those things have ever worked. But what if God has a way that you've never considered? What if God has a way to do something in my life and in your life that we just haven't had ears to hear, friend? You know, there's this story in 2 Kings with this guy named Naaman. You guys remember this story? It's a funny story. He hears that there's a prophet in Israel from one of his servants, and so he makes his way to Elisha. Elisha doesn't even come out to the guy. It's incredible. I mean, it's just incredibly offensive. It's amazing. The guy gets offended like multiple times while he goes to see the prophet. And the prophet gives him a word that he did not expect. Here's what he thought. Naaman came. He had leprosy. He came to the prophet and he thought the prophet was just going to wave his hand over him. That's what we want. Just wave your hand over. Everybody, everybody wave right now. Just go ahead. Just wave. Yep. That's what we're looking for. Just, hey, just wave your hand over me and all will be well. I don't even know why that's a thing. Like, what is? Feels like Disney. Pixie dust. I don't know. Just wave your hand. That's what I'm looking for. So the prophet's servant goes out to greet him and says, here's what the prophet says. Go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And he's like, what? The Jordan River is nasty. We've got, we've got better pools and rivers where I come from. I will not do such a thing. The word from God to this guy was go dip yourself into the river. And thankfully, one of his servants stopped him and said, if this is what will heal you, should you do it? And he finally comes to his senses and he goes down and dips himself. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing, like dip. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, it would feel weird, wouldn't it? I mean, we never play that one out. We probably should. I'm, I'm animating it for you and you're laughing at me. And that's fine. Happy Mother's Day. It's fine. Just, just seven dips in a dirty river. And guess what happens? It says that his leprosy is gone. But before he did it, he was so offended at the answer because he had some false hope in the way that it was supposed to happen. What if that's what we do? What if when we say it's not going to happen in my life, God's not going to bring me into freedom in my life, it is because we think this is what's supposed to happen, and because that hasn't happened, it won't happen. God's got a word for you. God has a word for your life, for your heart, for your stage of life. He knows exactly what to say. And the third thing is this, we have to live by obedience to his voice. Notice that Jesus did not say to him, be healed. Jesus did not say to him, believe. In John 4, he actually told the guy, you need to believe. And Pentecostals are guilty for this, aren't we? It's like everything's about, you just need to believe. <laughs> That's true, guilty. You just need to believe. No, no, no. He didn't say believe and he didn't say be healed. He said, get up. The atrophy that set into his body. He's, get up. This is Jesus. Get up. <laughs> he had a choice. Either I'm going to do what he said, or I'm going to sit here and wait for some, somebody to wave their hand over me. 
I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for me to feel it in my body to know to get up. I'm going to wait on my feelings. And when I feel it, then I'll get up. You know, we live by our feelings so often, don't we? Jesus calls us to obedience. And I know it's by grace we are saved through faith. Come on, that was last month's scripture. By grace we are saved through faith, which is a gift of God. No one can boast. That's salvation. Now that we're saved, now that the spirit of the living God is inside of us, it's obedience. It's obedience. He says, get up. We're not victims. We might have a lot of trauma and issues and difficulty and pain, but we're, we are, we're not victims. You can. I can be free. I can be free. I don't know what the issue is, but we can walk in freedom because Jesus says, get up. He says, get up. I love that about the Lord. He loves me. He cares for me, but he's caring for me as he gets me up. That's what he's trying. Get back up, son. We got some stuff to do. Don't stay there. Don't sit at the pool the rest of your life. He's already walked up to me and my pain and my issues and whatever they are, whatever they are for you. And he says, get up. We need to learn obedience to his, to his voice. It requires effort. And this is, this is the last thing that I want to say to you as I close, is that when Jesus says to us, do you want to be well? Do you want to be free? Do you want to be whole? The answer in our heart can't just be a profession that says yes. It has to be a commitment to whatever he's calling us to do in obeying his voice. Obedience is important for the Christian life. We've got to learn how to obey the words of Jesus. The words of God are right here, and the Spirit of God is speaking to us all the time. We cannot have the results. We cannot have the fruit of what God wants in our life without obedience to what he's already said in his word. We can't. It just doesn't happen that way. And so I ask you today, and I say this, I love our church. I believe you're all saved, sanctified, delivered, filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe all that. But if I take all that and I put the assumptions away, and I ask you this question, do you want to be free from the things that nobody knows about? Do you want to be free? Or do you want to stay mad, grumpy, bitter, lustful, prideful, jealous? Do I need to go on? Do you want to be free? You say, well, Ben, what about you? Do you want to be free? Yes, I do. <laughs> you know, I struggled with criticism for a long time. I did. Not just a little bit. Not just I was critical sometimes. I, I was critical. Like, I had a critical spirit. I know that sounds weird. Pentecostals use those terms a lot. We don't know what they mean. I had this... I had this, it's true. I had this... Uh, it's a religious spirit, a Jezebel spirit. We have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Only the person saying it thinks they do, right? They're the definer of it. I had this propensity, this bent towards criticism. And when the Lord began to deal with that, he didn't speak to me about criticism. He showed me the problem, but he, he helped me to realize the root. The root was my shame. He showed me my shame that went all the way back to when I was a young man. I didn't know this. I didn't know this, but the Lord showed it to me. I started dealing with this. Lord, I don't want to be critical anymore. I'm tired of, I feel like I can't even sit through a church service. That, that's the reality. I can't even sit through. Friends, I'm telling you, that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't sit in church services or walk around life and everything he sees is like, well, that could be better. That's wrong. Something wrong with that. That's not Christ. And that's kind of how I was. And it got worse and worse and worse. And when I started to pray about it, the Lord didn't speak to me about my criticism. He speak to me about my shame. 
started realizing there was something over my life that was covering my eyes and providing a filter by which I would see other people and I didn't love them. I wasn't praying for them. I, I wasn't, my propensity wasn't to lift them, encourage them, build them. And God began to root that thing out. One day he grabbed a hold of it. My wife knows this. I was sitting on the couch in our living room in our last house. And I was looking at her and she was in the kitchen. And it was like the spirit of God touched my heart in such a way. It was, it was dramatic. I don't have that happen all the time. We don't have that happen all the time. It was a moment. It was a 38-year moment for me, and he grabbed my heart, and he showed me my shame, and I was undone, and it wasn't just that I was transformed. It was that I, it was that I realized that what this was came from this, and then God grabbed a hold of it, and I could offer it to him. Shame was not a mountain for me to overcome. It was a voice to be denied, but I couldn't even realize that it was a voice in my life. And I love it when people talk about how free they are. You know, I'm so free. I'd never struggle with any of this stuff ever again. What we often fail to realize is that the struggles that we have in life are not mountains to overcome. They're voices to be denied. You can go 10 years in your freedom and then all of a sudden that voice starts coming back to you again. And you want to, I thought I dealt with that. You did deal with that and you need to keep dealing with that. It's a voice to be denied. And Jesus gives us the grace and our honesty and our openness and our vulnerability not in our religious pride. That's what the Pharisees did. Remember in John 8? In John chapter 8, they're telling Jesus, he's talking about freedom, and they're like, we're sons of Abraham. We're inheritors of the covenant. We're the chosen people. That's like today we could say, we're Christians. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've loved Jesus all my life, but I'm bound by this thing. And we're saying all that to cover up the fact that we have this thing right here. And it's like Jesus doesn't even acknowledge any of that. He's like, yeah, I know you love me, but here's this thing. Do you want to be free? And if you want to be free, I'm going to show you what this is. And when, you, when I show it to you, you can offer it to me. When you offer it to me, I'm going to teach you how to deny that voice and walk free. I'm going to teach you how to do this in your life. It's going to be powerful. But you have to have a soft heart. How many of us in marriage, we just keep surviving. We just keep going. No vision to get, to get beyond that, to get better to love, to serve, to lay our life down. We know the scriptures say it, right? The scripture says to men, it says to serve your wife as, and to love your wife as Christ loved the church, to lay your life. We, we read that in all of our theology, we can't do that. All of our theology, we can't do that. Lay your life down, sacrifice yourself. If we can't do that, something's wrong. Come on, guys, something's wrong. It's not wrong if we're open about it, though. If we're saying, God, here's where I'm at. This is my heart. This is where I'm at. I, I, I give this to you. That vulnerability, that softness, that openness to the Lord, that shows us that we're not going to stay bound. But a lack of that, man, we just stay bound. And we live in this sort of incarcerated place that Jesus continues to knock on the door and show us the keys. I, I've got them. <laughs> I got them. I, and it, it's a lot better outside of this cell. I'm not living in a cell. Yes, you are. <laughs> I've got freedom for you. And so for that reason, I know this is like, man, Mother's Day message. I know. Could be worse. I could have done Ananias and Sapphira, you know. <laughs> my, my friend preached. Uh, he was, it, it, Mother's Day fell in Acts chapter 5, and he had to do that. He was like, should I do it? I didn't want to give many advice and just let the dice roll and see what he did. He did it. I thought, well, I'll never do that. You should have told me before that. <laughs> no, man. That'll be a story to remember. 
with every head bowed, and, and if you could just honor the presence of the Lord today. Let me ask you this as you're considering how do we respond to this message? You've heard the word. Jesus approached a man, said, do you want to be well? Jesus approaches us through the person of the Holy Spirit today, speaks to our heart. And the question I have is, how do you respond to this message? Jesus wants more freedom than we're walking in right now for each one of us. That's truth. That's truth. How do you respond to this? Father, we thank you for surrender right now. We thank you for your Holy Spirit showing us our hearts. We thank you that there's more. We thank you, Lord, for each and every heart, every life. And no matter what we've gone through, Lord, you're excited and you're expectant for the days ahead. The future is bright even if we can't see it. You're doing more than we realize and more than we can see. You're at work in our hearts. And Lord, we come to you with surrender today. And we ask you, Lord, to work. We ask you, Lord, to speak. We ask for that word so that we can obey. When you say get up and walk, what does that mean to us? We desire for everything that you want to do in our life to happen. We, we desire that. Just for a moment, just seek the Lord with me. Thank you, Lord. Worship you. What is the Lord saying to you? What does he want you to do? What does he want you to hear? we're praying, I have this picture in my heart. Um, if you could picture in your house where you have closets and, or storage rooms, and over the years what we do is we just throw stuff into there and the boxes pile up and the things pile up, and at some point we don't even know what's in there anymore. And we say, you know, when we have our spring cleanings and we think about our house and getting our house in order and getting everything cleaned out and fresh and all that, we say in our minds, I need to go into that closet, I need to go into that storage room, and I need to look at all of those things and decide what I want to do with them, but we just keep pushing it off. And so these storage rooms that we have, these closets that we have in our life, they're filled up with things we don't even really know what's in there anymore. 
God knows what's in there. And God knows what to do with all that's in there. And here's what I want to encourage you with. The, the, the one thing, if you say, how do I apply this message? If you don't know, I'm asking you to sit with God at least one time and open your heart to him and ask him what in your life is in that closet, is in that storage room. You may not even know it's there. Ask him to show you. We're not just digging in there trying to find stuff that isn't there. We're asking him, what's in my storage room that I've put there and I've forgotten about and help me to see it and decide what to do with it. Sit with the Lord because here's what I'll tell you. Time does not heal all wounds. Time with God heals all wounds. Time does not heal all wounds. Time with God heals all wounds. He wants to have time with you. And if you have time with him, you're going to be more free as a result of it. Would you stand to your feet as we close? Let me pray for you as I send you out. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the freedom that's offered through the precious blood of Christ. God, we receive all that you have, and I thank you for that today. I pray you minister to our hearts and help us to give ourselves back to you fully and completely in worship. You are worthy of it all, Lord, and I pray that we wouldn't have one thing in that storage room one thing in that closet that we're not giving over to you. Deal with it. Speak to us. Give us a word. Help us to know what it means to get up and walk. We, we desire for that to happen in our life. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said... Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.